Hello, welcome to the Kaleidoscope, your portal to possibilities and soul-satisfying solutions. Get ready to embark on an inspired journey in a quest for a whole new perspective. I'm your host, Ashley Bernard, introducing people to the beautiful gems that they are. Every story, voice, and person are all a part of a masterpiece. In all our brokenness and colors, we are truly meant to reflect each other. So I'll be mixing and merging your creative thinking and intuition as we peek into ideas, philosophies, and mysteries that expose the perfect truth about you. So let's open our minds. It's time for the Kaleidoscope. All right, welcome everyone. So today I would like to begin to dive into a topic that we are all familiar with and at the same time completely ignorant about. And um, I want to express some very radical concepts and ideas. And I would like for you to just keep an open mind and try to follow me if you can, as I try to really round out this picture for you all today. So today I want to start with talking about the ego and exactly what it is. And I think that something that is so overlooked is the question of what is it that creates our individuality and our personalities? What is the true driving factor behind those individual traits and our own personalized imprint in the world? So um, when I think about this, though, I really can't stop thinking about the fact that it has got to be our ego that creates our personalities and that also gives us that unique individuality because we really live in a world of duality. You know, we have um, the sun, the moon, light and dark and ego and spirit and, you know, and the things that happen in our outside reality are different than the things that happen in our inside world that we experience only. So we, we truly live in a world of duality. So I would like to present an idea about our individuality and about the possibility that our individuality and personalities actually derive from our ego. So let's go ahead and start all the way back at the beginning, at the time of your conception. During intercourse, as your father's consciousness rises via his spine, even higher to the top of his head, and the tension mounts towards a climax. Your father's consciousness briefly touches the divine consciousness, creating a flashpoint, which is like a small explosion, which is experienced through his orgasm, and therefore an injection of divine consciousness is then fused with his semen to give life to the mother's ovum. And this moment of union with a man and a woman and the explosion of tension in a man at the time of the orgasm, it truly reenacts the time of the Big Bang when the unity of father and mother consciousness exploded into separate energies and the first electrical particles and random matter took form. Father consciousness provided the energy of activity and momentum and mother consciousness provided the bonding to give form and substance to these electrical particles. These here are primal impulses, 
which give life and form to men and women. I want you to understand that creation is not a creation of matter imbued with consciousness. Creation is the visible form of primal impulses drawn and bonded into individual shapes and entities, all expressing different facets and combinations of the primal impulse in a thousand different ways. So therefore, the primal impulses are the reality which your eyes, ears, smell, touch, tell you are solid matter, but are really consciousness impulses individualized in order to be experienced, intellectually understood, and appreciated emotionally. So at the time of conception, when semen unites with the ovum and a mating takes place, the male consciousness chromosomes bond with female consciousness chromosomes. This is a physical union of your father's own consciousness of semen and your mother's own consciousness of ovum, powered by the divine. And the male and female consciousness chromosomes, they carry the imprint of the genetic DNA from both parents. The moment of physical union of semen and ovum is conducted on two levels of creativity. So this injection of divine consciousness became your soul embodied within a human consciousness, the union of the semen and the ovum. So physicality was created and powered by mother-father life consciousness, which controlled the activity and bonding of consciousness cells, producing the gradual growth and development of your physical body, which is actually nothing more than consciousness made visible on every level of your being and nothing else. So here, your soul remained as an involatile flame, which is a metaphor for the mother-father life deeply enmeshed within the physical drives of activity, bonding, and repulsion. This became your earthly individuality and personality, incorporated within the transcendent life impulses of Divine Mother-Father Consciousness. These consciousness impulses now took over the process of your physical consciousness creation and became the driving force behind your personality. So together, activity bonding labored to build consciousness cells by conscious cells according to the consciousness specifications contained in the consciousness DNA molecules within you. Both personality and body are the product of these human impulses of activity bonding and repulsion. Universal consciousness remains forever within the equilibrium in space and therefore undetectable. In that self same space in frequencies of vibrations, the primal impulses of activity, bonding and rejection work together in the visible dimension appearing to your senses in the form of electromagnetism. So I want to explain to you about electromagnetism and attraction, bonding, and repulsion. So what that means is, so electromagnetism is a branch of physics that involves the study of electromagnetic forces. It's the type of interaction that occurs between electrically charged particles. And everyday life is pervaded by artificially made electromagnetic radiation. Our food is heated in microwave ovens, airplanes are guided by radar waves, television sets receive electromagnetic waves tra transmitted by broadcasting stations, and infrared waves from heaters provide warmth. And in the human systems, the aura 
is the electromagnetic field. And so electrostatic forces, both attractive and repulsive in nature, hold the world of atoms and molecules together in a perfect balance. See, without this electric force, material things would not even exist. Because atoms, as the building blocks of matter, depend upon these forces. And material objects, including us earthlings, are made of atoms. And the acts of standing, walking, touching, feeling, smelling, tasting, and even thinking, they're all a result of electrical phenomena. Electrostatic forces are the foundation to our existence. And understanding, once again, about the world of duality that we live within. The universal consciousness and your soul remain in the silence and stillness of the equilibrium. And that is the center point. That is the source. Now, the earthly consciousness creativity takes place within space and time in varying frequencies and vibrations of materialized consciousness. So what that means is that our consciousness is taking place individually within each of us at varying frequencies of our own materialized consciousness that we're experiencing as our life. So therefore, we take on the living form and continue to exist within the two dimensions, the duality that I spoke of. One dimension is unseen of the divine consciousness and the other visible dimension is all that the living human being can sense or comprehend. That is until a spiritual development lifts the human consciousness frequencies of vibration to a spiritual plane and a glimmer of understanding enters into an earthly consciousness. See, at this process of gradual enlightenment precedes the uplifted human consciousness and then works consciously, both within the unseen and the visible dimensions. And at this juncture within your experience, you would be considered a higher frequency vibration of individualized consciousness. Now, on the lower end of the vibrational frequency, this individualized piece of consciousness is more divorced from universal perfection of love. And the forms created in this individualized mind wholly are possessed by the ego drive. Now, this brings me to the big point here. The ego takes over control of the developing fetus from the time of the union of the semen and the ovum. The new little being became an I immediately, feeling satisfaction and dissatisfaction in the womb, depending upon its sense of comfort or discomfort of what was happening to the mother. So when you were born, your instincts of survival imprinted with the deep primal knowledge of created beginningness buried in each living cell of your body, prompting you to breathe and become aware of an emotional emptiness and deprivation at your separation from the comfort of the confining womb, which was then felt as a physical emptiness and need for physical nourishment. Thus, your ego cry was born. Here, when you cried, you were given nourishment by your mother, which was deeply satisfying, both physically and emotionally. When your needs were fully met, you could slip back into a state of equilibrium within sleep and peace. And here the cycle begins. When you wake from your peace, you felt a sense of insecurity. The equilibrium, the peace that you felt, is now divided into a mental and emotional awareness. 
you remembered that your mother's milk created a fulfillment of a needy insecurity. And so again, you cried and your needs were fulfilled. So did your ego drive develop. So then we have the instances of a baby crying whenever it's not yet time to feed. And then they're left to cry for a while. Now this builds up an awareness that needs were not always satisfied immediately. And you would have to adapt. Either choose to be angry, cry more vigorously, or lapse into an acceptance. The choice of reaction is dependent upon the characteristics of the ego drive imprinted in the consciousness at birth. And here, neither form of ego drive should be condemned or judged. They were a natural result of the creative factor of ego, which is what ensures individuality. So here is where it gets so much fun. So the ego is the guardian of our individuality. If we didn't cry and have this built-in impulse for what we wanted to make us happy or reject what makes us sad, we would be stuck in a continuous limbo of nothingness. If we did not run when faced with danger or did not call for help when in danger, then we might die. If you had not cried, demanded food when you were born, they might have starved you. If you had not welcomed your mother's milk and nuzzled her warmly, you might never have developed the close, caring bond with her. Without the ego drive, there would be no creation, no individuality, no fulfillment of need, no protection, no warmth of response, and no human love. Without the ego drive, there would be no self-defense, no protection, and no survival. However, the ego drive, primarily the I of the individual, is imprinted only with the need for self-satisfaction and survival. See, in childhood, the eye of the ego is governed by likes and dislikes, wants and rejection of what is not wanted and by habits formed by a constant repetition of feelings. Bad habits in the form of unacceptable ego responses to personal experiences and the environment are formed and these are in turn imprinted into the unconscious or subconscious mind and remain hidden. However, they erupt into repeated behavior patterns when the memory of previous circumstances and modes of behavior unconsciously bring them to the mind. Now, the subconscious mind and the conscious mind begin to work together to develop the personality here. Much of the behavior comes from conditioned behavior and very difficult to break. When the person is unconsciously programmed with strong self-centered ego habits of thought and behavior and finds it difficult to live with others in harmony, that person then goes to a psychologist for help to unravel the complexities of the emotional and mental problems that they're experiencing in life. And until the truth of existence is fully understood and the life-giving principles become the consistent guidelines of habits and thought and responses to life's experiences, the pain and suffering arising from the ignorant indulgence of ego drives is going to continue to persist. And a lot of times, you know, in churches, it's described that this human difficulty um, as being a temptation by Satan of our flesh or so on and so forth. And it, there's no such thing. It is just the natural process brought on by the uncontrolled reactions to life powered by the ego drive, whose sole purpose is to bring the individual happiness and contentment, fulfillment of need, 
or privacy, independence, security, and peace, all directed at survival on a spiritual or physical level. So it really needs to be understood that there is nothing evil about the ego drive. It is just a necessary tool for creation of individuality. And it is truly the individual himself who brings about the imbalances of life by allowing the ego drive full control in his personality without thought or consideration for other people. And this too is not to be judged or criticized since the person possessed by the ego drive knows no other way to think or operate within this earthly dimension. The child knows nothing about self-control other than what he's taught by his parents or school teachers. Therefore, the mistakes that it makes in responding to life and its ups and downs can only be accepted in good spirit by parents and teachers since the child has no understanding of what's driving him. If he wants something, he wants something right away and wonders why he shouldn't have it. There's nothing more in his mind than this. He sees something he likes and he wants it. And what is so misunderstood is that it is true cruelty to the child to roughly exclaim, no, you can't have it. Because what happens is his entire system is insulted and assaulted. From the earliest babyhood, the training process must be initiated by logic and reassurance, affirming his right to feel secure within his environment. His sense of security should be developed by explaining the right way to express his wishes love not irritation or anger must choose the words which tell the child why he cannot have what he wants the child will hear the message when it's given in love when delivered in anger it arouses his deepest ego drives and begins to take form as resentment which is just a hidden deep sense of frustration which taints the ego and it reduces the child's sense of inner validity. A child needs to process this sense of personal validity and should not be subdued or destroyed. See, it requires parents or teachers to point out very clearly that other people in the world also have their needs, their rights to their possessions, their desires for peace and pleasure. No one, not even a child or adult, has the right to upset another person in order to obtain their own satisfaction. If another youngster hits a child and makes him cry, it is only natural for the ego drive to want to fight back. He is programmed to defend himself against the other child. It calls for parents and teachers to point out that a payback, revenge, and conflict only escalates and brings more pain to each child. And for this reason, payback is entirely pointless. Better to laugh and turn away, rather than allow the irritation and hurt in one's mind to continue. Better still to take the problem to the divine consciousness in prayer and ask for the hurt to be removed from your consciousness and seek means of reconciliation because this is where we begin to reprogram our ego drives responses. A child should also be taught to take the time to understand that he and the other child are equally children born of the divine moment. When a child is spiritually receptive and can make this this procedure of recognizing his spiritual kinship to other children and all living things and the rights of others equal with his own into a habit, he will have been given the greatest spiritual gift possible. In such a way is the ego drive weakened by the practical daily application of inspirational love 
All the while, the central I-ness of the child remains strong and confident. So the implications of this really point to the best teachings relying on a systematic reference in every circumstance to a brotherly love and the equal rights of others. You know, at the same time, though, the child should not be indoctrinated with the self-sacrifice since this type of caring must not be willing and born only of the individual's spiritual perceptions and goals. Because self-sacrifice is born of spiritual enlightenment, of a higher road to follow, of denial of our little selves to remove the ego barriers that are obstructing our attunement with the universally divine consciousness. Now, true enlightenment and self-sacrifice brings a spiritual connectedness to the heights of joy. There's no sense of loss um, in any form here. And to better describe the reality of the soul and the ego, I want you to cup your hands together, fingertips touch, touching the fingertips, and wrists together, leaving space between your cupped hands. Your hands represent the human consciousness shell of a person, the ego. And the space correctly represents the soul, born of the father-mother consciousness of life at the moment of your conception. Whilst the human senses, it appears to be nothingness. It is, in fact, an offshoot of the allness and wholeness of divine consciousness out of which all things have been created and taken form. Your hands with the space between represent the eye. Your right and left hands represent two potent forces of the magnetic ego drive. They represent forces of bonding rejection. But at the same time, quite rightly, they are the physical representation of the physical energies known to science as magneticism, bonding, and repulsion. Now, if you bend back your right hand from the other one and visualize that you use this right hand to get what you want out of life, it represents also what your human consciousness perceives as the grasping attitude to life. Giving time to this exercise, you can fully realize that your right hand represents the magnetic pull, the bonding and attraction, the gravity evident in all of nature. It is the source of all wanting and desires. It is the magnetic impulse which always directed to get what is necessary or greatly desired and pleasurable in life. This magnetic impulse is spiritually intended to be directed towards constructive purposes, gaining and holding and building and achieving. Where there are no other people or living things in the world, the magnetic impulse could have full sway in a personality and no harm can be done. But whenever you involve other people or other living creatures or possessions are taken into account, that the uncontrolled magnetic impulse to attract, draw, bond, hold, or possess something, that's when it becomes a sickness of personality. If it is not equally balanced with the needs of all other living things. Now return your hands to its original place, cupped with the left hand. Now pull back your left hand and visualize that this hand represents the magnetic impulse to repel Push away, slap, or defend yourself from any unauthorized encroachment on your personal property or possessions or any attack on your character, family, or work. See, the left hand represents the magnetic impulse of rejection, which is 
spiritually intended as well to ensure privacy, safety in our life. It's a legitimate weapon when your physical and emotional survival is at stake. Always providing that you remember that your every action is an electromagnetic activity binding repulsion blueprint in your consciousness, which will rebound and externalize eventually in the form of a similar attack on you. And this is what we call the laws of karma. Now, the unpleasantness may be criticism from your parents, your teacher, employer, um, the words of self-defense, which spring to mind and jump out of your mouth, are ego words wholly given to self-defense, expressing the magnetic drive of repulsion, repulsion and rejection. And as your ego words of attack flare up into anger through expression, so is the ego of your critic similarly threatened and it also rises up in him or her as words of self-defense against you. What may have started out as a necessary and adult action of pointing out some error and a better way to do is frequently immediately seen by the self-centered sensitive ego as a personal attack. What should have been a moment of growth develops into a time of conflict, anger, possibly tears, ongoing resentments, and mutual hostility. And in such swift, unexpected, unnecessary ways, conflict is then generated in the mind, expressed in words or even actions, and then perpetuated through the resentment and hatred of another life form. And if you remember that every activity of the mind, the mental thought and the emotional reactions of attraction and repulsion are all consciousness energies of creativity. Now these consciousness energies not only create the unpleasant rebound forms, but they also develop the direction of the character and even affect relationships generally and the environment. And they reduce the life vitality of the body, leading directly to a sense of physical illness, literally like a viral infection or a disease, for that is nothing more than a body in disease. Now the higher way when under attack of any kind a way of having only constructive repercussions is to remember that you can instantly call upon your divine consciousness, whatever that may be, from which you can draw an instant protection in any eventuality. But this is only possible if you can move beyond the magnetic ego drive of resistance into the perfect assurance that divine consciousness will and does meet your every need. Now, if you return your left hand to its original position with the right hand, you now realize that throughout this exercise, the space between your hands has remained the space. It has not been involved in any of the activity of the hands. And so it is within your soul, when your ego is busily at work, second by second, always and forever, on the alert to fulfill your needs and defend you from any unpleasantries, the divine consciousness of your soul remains hidden although it is always within you. And when you truly think about this, what is within you? It is your soul. It is the haven of that equilibrium, of the divine consciousness, which is what gave you being. And I just greatly long to be able to put into your mind a broad view of your source of being to enable you to perceive a little more clearly about your beginnings from where you have come. That it is true that deep within you, 
You are nothing more than an individualized piece of universal consciousness. The great universal consciousness, which is where all things draw their being and take form. And if I speak of a mountain, a picture is going to come to your mind. But you will not know the immensity of its structure, the endurance of its rocks, its ravines, the peaks, the caverns, the snow which caps in all of its seasons, the waterfalls that cascade into pools when its glaciers melt, for you to gain a glimpse of the complete grandeur of the mountain. I would have to go into detailed description of every nook and cranny. But even after the most detailed verbal explanation, you would still have only that imagined dimensional picture to draw on. You would not know the mountain truly. Just the same for if I speak of a hurricane. I can bring to your mind the trees blowing to the ground, bent by the tremendous winds, walls crumbling, rafters broken, bricks and roofs flying, windows shattering, cars overturned, great trees uprooted. But you will never know the force and the noise of that wind and the crash of the falling masonry or the terror that it generates in the people's hearts who have endured it until you have experienced it for yourself. And so it is when I try to describe for you that which has brought all creation into being, you can only guess, you cannot know. But it is my hope that after you have experienced all that I am speaking about for yourself, that you will begin to gain some ideas of what I'm trying to tell you. Therefore, let no one who listens dispute with another or deny the truth of what I'm trying to tell you or to refuse any of these worlds. For I tell you that you cannot fully know what you have not yet experienced. But I do tell you that if you ask and if you begin to seek, you will encounter the experience. So that's all the time that we have for today, guys. I really appreciate you all being here today. And um, if no one has told you today, I love you. And if anybody would like to get a hold of me to reach out to ask questions or even submit a topic, then you can reach out to me at ourhometeam143 at gmail.com. I also encourage you to like, subscribe, and follow my podcast so that you can come back for some more perspective for your life. All right, guys, I love you all so much. I'm so proud of you. You got this. I cannot believe it. Winning. Have a great day.